Actually, this last week I was away um, and asked Jeff if we could switch as a way to kind of get a chance to talk to the different churches. And um, a couple weeks ago, I preached this sermon uh, actually on Thanksgiving, uh, Thanksgiving Day. And I was talking with uh, AJ and telling him that you guys are actually getting the refined version of even that sermon tonight. Uh, so you guys are like, uh, this is good for you. Um, I've been thinking some about it, and actually as I was preparing that week, I um, feel like I stumbled across something significant, something that um, I'd already kind of had an inkling or some experience with in terms of gratitude and practicing gratitude, but um, just some of the reading I was doing and some of the thinking around it, I uh, feel like God is solidifying some of this. And so um, I want to just take a quick moment and talk some about, you know, like the teaching uh, throughout Scripture is pretty consistent about giving um, thanks. And Greg, if you could put it up there, the next one, the next slide. Uh, in, in Balfour, I usually have a clicker so I can do this on my own. But um, this is a passage from Ephesians. And if you just hit it one more time, you'll see here in this passage uh, that giving thanks, he says, give thanks to God um, always, always giving thanks. And then the next passage from Colossians. Uh, if you hit it again, actually in this passage, it's two times does Paul speak to the church and say, give thanks. Um, and then there's one more passage from Thessalonians, um, which uh, Christians have thought is probably the earliest letter of Paul. Um, and again, here it says, give thanks in all circumstances. If you can hit it one more time, Greg. Just to underline this idea that giving thanks is not, um, it's not something you have to search too hard for in Scripture. And actually, in these places in the New Testament, Paul is literally saying numerous times, give thanks. And most of the time, he's saying, give thanks in all situations. Give thanks continually or always. Um, Greg, if you could hit it one more time. When we're talking about gratitude uh, or giving thanks, there's a real temptation to approach it like kind of a morality pep talk. You know, it's really tempting. I mean, we could, one, go from the scriptures uh, uh, that we just looked at, and we could say, you know, it's actually a command, so you should be thankful because you're supposed to be or because you should. Or we could go the other direction, too, which is another one I, I often hear uh, in Canada, in North America, where we start talking about how good we have it, almost kind of the guilt trip approach um, to get us thinking about how good things are uh, and then how we should be grateful for that. To go, you know, the, that practice of going through our list of all the stuff we have and then now shouldn't you be thankful. This morning, I'm after a rare species of gratitude. This morning, I am not really interested in the gratitude that we feel. I'm interested in the gratitude, uh, I'm looking for something different. Um, not after the gratitude we feel, you know, that moment when you, a car, you dodge a car in oncoming traffic and you're like, whew, I'm grateful that I survived. I'm not after the gratitude you feel when you get that perfect gift that somebody gives you and you think, oh, you know me, this is perfect. I'm not after even that gratitude. Not after the gratitude we feel in those quiet moments or those moments when we think, oh, the, everything in the world is right and I am so grateful. I'm not after even that gratitude. I'm after something more elusive. This morning, I'm after the gratitude that we practice, the gratitude that we cultivate in our life, the gratitude we feel when things are going well, the gratitude we feel when we feel numb to life, the gratitude we feel when things are hard and it doesn't look like there's any way out. I'm talking about this sort of gratitude. The gratitude that we practice when the last thing we feel 
is grateful. God has been growing this sort of gratitude in me. Um, and he's been growing it in me, this practice of gratitude over the last few years, um, not because I wanted to, or not because I thought it was a good idea, but because I needed it to survive. Um, for those of you who know, um, uh, my wife Tracy, on June 24th, uh, 2015, so almost four and a half years ago, um, I remember I was taking a shower and she came and told me that she had just gotten a call from uh, the oncologist and that uh, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And that next year was um, painful, losses, fear, um, all sorts of things. And I was the one um, sitting next to her, let alone all the stuff that Tracy was going through. But the interesting thing for us, and uh, actually I saw it in one of your posts just recently, after, uh, um, in April of 2016, Tracy had her final surgery or one of her final surgeries, or the main surgery, and they had said, um, you, you're cancer-free, good news. Great news, you're cured, no cancer. Um, but it's interesting for Tracy, it was sort of like, oh, I've gotten this second chance, like, let's do everything. Um, and for me, I was terrified. I was still terrified that her cancer would come back, despite the probabilities that the doctor gave us. I think it was like, like almost 95% that she'd still be alive in five years and like 90-something percent that she'd still be alive in 10 years, which is pretty good probabilities. Yeah, I still had a hard time focusing on the truth of the situation and getting past my fears. Well, what if? It's really easy for me to think about those things, to live in that place of what if. What if she dies? What if I am a single father trying to raise my two crazy boys? <laughs> What if I have to do this on my own or without her? And it was really hard for me. It started to affect even the way that I was living. Um, I, I, I'm not overstating this. I literally thought of it all the time. It was always in the back of my mind. Even if I was laughing or joking, I was still thinking like, what if Tracy dies? Um, I realized part of this is how I'm wired. I, um, maybe some of you can relate. Some of, some of us think mainly about the past. We think about how good it was or how hard it was and we tend to live in the past. Some people are really good at living in the present moment. I am a future-oriented person. I think a lot about the future. Like kind of constantly I think about the future, what it will be, what it will be like, how to, to best prepare for that. I also realize too that part of how I am, I'm a little bit on the pessimistic side. I mean, I dream about doing amazing things. I dream about things happening in our church here in the Kootenays. Um, but I also have kind of this deep-seated hunch that as good as it is right now, it will probably won't stay that way. How can I prepare? Um, just as an example, Tracy would acknowledge this, is that, um, like for example, when it comes to finances, I'm a saver <laughs> because you never know what's coming versus, you know, like, well, I'm sure God will provide and so we can do these things. So you just get this, you kind of get this window into how I'm wired, how I work. I kind of worry about the future. And so I worried about Tracy's cancer. Uh, so it's a bad combination of being future-oriented and a bit pessimistic, how that can affect fear. Well, after, you know, kind of working through that and us talking around about it and around about it, I um, actually went and met um, with a counselor and 
She talked to me some about some of the, the tapes that run through my head about the way I approach life. Um, and it was really easy, like I said, for me to focus on the possibility that Tracy might die. Even like the, the lower probability. I mean, the probabilities, wa- uh, the probabilities were that she was going to survive and be fine. But still, I was really easy for me to focus on that tiny little possibility. And so, through the help, uh, talking with uh, a counselor, talking with about like the truth of what was happening, not only what the doctors had said, but also what God was saying. What God had said to me in dreams, what God had said to me in moments of prayer, of trusting him. And so every time I started having this fear, I didn't feel it at the time, but I would start reminding myself of the truth, of what God had said and what the doctors had said, what the probabilities were of her survival. And I also began giving thanks in that time too, giving thanks for the moment I was in. And I'm not here to say, it wasn't like, uh, like those sentimental pictures, it was a matter of survival. Giving thanks to God, and it helped me to remain in that present moment. Um, I mean, simple things, like giving thanks uh, when I saw Tracy playing with our boys or giving thanks (laughs) um, when we'd had some sort of argument, not that you guys would ever argue, but have an argument over like something, but to still give thanks for her, even in the midst of it, and how it begins uh, changing us. Begin realizing that it's this choice to live either afraid or grateful. To live in the uncertainty of the future, to be constantly worried about that, or grateful in the moment I was at with Tracy or with the boys or just life. This practice of being grateful had this amazing uh, ability to keep me present in the moment, to keep me focused on what was happening right then, not worried or not uh, thinking about things that have happened to me in the past, nor worried about the future, but giving God thanks right in that moment. In preparation for this, uh, about thank, this sermon about thankfulness, I was reading Ann Voskamp's book, uh, 1,000 Gifts, which is funny. I, I actually, I'm really surprised by this book. Tracy read it years ago. And for those of you who have read it, you're like, Jason, what have you been doing? That book is like 10 years old. Um, but it's interesting because Ann uncovers this thankful way, this way of giving thanks uh, through life. And she begins to wonder, what if giving thanks is a secret to life? What if giving thanks is the way to make it through, the way to live life more full? What if thanks was the way to set down the hurts that we have, the things that we don't even like to talk about, the things we resent, the situations that went wrong, the relationships that are broken, What if living gratefully, to use her words, what if they were the holy grail? A thing that we've been looking for. This approach to life that helps us figure out or navigate the disillusionments of life, the things that have gone wrong. To migrate this idea of God's love from our head, from the theology, the things we know about God, to our heart to the realities. 
I suspect some of you are coming here this morning and you know, when you saw this, this thankful way, if you read in the bulletin of the sermon guide, um, if you had any expectation at all about what thankfulness would be, like, it's probably like a Hallmark kind of sermon, like something you, know, like you might read in a card or something. You know, it's good to be thankful. Or maybe five reasons why we should be thankful. Or maybe you strolled in this morning and you had totally different things on your mind. Wondering, you know, how do we kind of go through this morning to get on to the other things we have planned today? Or maybe some of you are here this morning hoping to hear something good because you're barely hanging on. And I'm beginning to wonder, what if gratitude really was a secret to life more full? Here, now, not someday when we die. What if gratitude made this life good? Not easy, but good. What if gratitude, and not the feelings of gratitude, like, wow, I feel so grateful, but the long, faithful practice of giving thanks really is the Holy Grail, the secret to life more full, to this life that Jesus has provided for us through his life, death, and resurrection. In her book, 1,000 Gifts, Uh, Anne talks about her hunt through the scriptures. She talks about reading through the Old Testament and the New Testament, looking for a particular word. In Greek, it's eucharisto, means to give thanks. She's looking through it in the Septuagint and through the New Testament, finding it all over the place. But as interesting is her reflection on the Last Supper uh, in Luke's gospel that was especially, uh, that grabbed my attention. So listen to it again, but just, if, you, if it helps to close your eyes, but just listen to it. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you, for I tell you I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They, the disciples, began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. Craig, if you could hit the next one. There's a couple things that I wanted to point out in this passage. If you could hit the next slide. Yeah, maybe go back one more. One more, two. So this is the passage. You don't have to read the whole thing. Uh, one thing I wanted to notice, too, is to apologize. I looked, I did this two weeks ago, and I didn't catch it until I was already folding all the, the sermon guides. Uh, it actually says Luke 29. If you go looking for Luke 29, you won't find it. <laughs> it's actually Luke 22 is a typo. Um, I just want to apologize for that. But um, it's interesting because in this passage here, Greg, if you go forward one more, Anne has this, really insightful part. She points out that when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. This is 
This is the moment that Jesus is in right now. Getting ready to eat this meal, knowing that he is about to suffer. And by suffer, we mean uh, arrested, beaten, tortured, nearly to death, and then crucified. Jesus knows this is coming. I can't imagine the anxiety of that. I think about, I think me having a fear of the future. <laughs> Him knowing what's coming. This is what, this is the setting. But then there's this other part, this other detail. Greg, if you can hit it again. It says, in the hand of him who is going to betray me uh, is with mine at the table. Not only is Jesus looking forward to the suffering and to the sacrifice of the cross, he also knows that one of his 12 disciples, one of the guys he's been walking with for the last three years, who he has poured his life into, is also going to betray him. And he's actually there at the table with him. I can't, I don't know if I can really even imagine a harder moment than this. Not only knowing the suffering that's coming, but sitting there with someone who he cares about, who has betrayed him. So just let this, all these things swirling around, let this sink in for a moment, how hard this is. And Anne points out that it's in the middle of all of this that Jesus gives thanks. Greg, if you could hit it one more time. It says that after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. And then a minute later he said, and he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. <clears throat> I don't know how many times I've read this passage. I don't know how many times I've said these words during communion. And I've missed it. I think maybe because I assumed it was sort of the obligatory grace before the meal. <laughs> that moment when we, we say grace or we, you know, it's said in so many different ways. Some, you know, can we say a little prayer or often our family say, can we give thanks for this food? And how it's a habit that we have. Sometimes we often do it uh, just as a practice. It's just what we do before we eat. And I assumed that Jesus was like that. You know, from what I know a little bit about the Passover meal, you know, there's, there's a way that you go about it. There's a tradition to it. But I began to wonder uh, these last few weeks that what if when Jesus said thanks, what if it wasn't just obligatory? What if it wasn't just him doing it because that's what you're supposed to do during the Passover? What if he's doing it because he really is grateful? Or, what if it's the habit of saying this that has helped him remain faithful? I can't help but wonder too if he's knowing this is his last meal, if he's savoring every word of it, even the giving thanks. Savoring every word of thank you, Father, for this food. Thank you for this cup. Thank you for this bread. Jesus does all of this this morning in the midst of struggle and pain, anxiety, betrayal, giving thanks in the middle.
Greg, if you could hit one more time. If we will cultivate gratitude in our lives, it will pull out, it will crowd out the weeds in our life. As we cultivate gratitude, it, one, it weeds out the shallow life. The kind of life we live when we live too fast. We have so many things planned in our days that we just go from one thing to the next. Everything is packed in and we jump on the train at whatever time, 5.45 in the morning when we wake up. We jump on the train and we go all day until 9.30 at night when we finally lay down. I'm like, what just happened? That sort of life, that self-absorbed life when we are focused so much on our future and what we want next. The thankful way keeps us appreciating the moment we're in right now. Giving thanks to God, even when things are hard. For those of you like me, pulling our attention away from the future to give God thanks for what he's doing right now. I was thinking about it while we were um, standing here. Oh. She's here, so I don't want to embarrass her. But I was just thinking about um, listening to our worship team sing and giving God thanks for uh, the young people that are up here who are praising God and leading us in that. How easy it is to take that for granted. I even think about this moment right now, giving God thanks for this church family here. Because even though I don't get to see you guys very often, many of you are friends and I care about you, and I'm grateful for you. When we're grateful, it takes us out of this future orientation, this fear of the future, or this obsession with the future and the stuff we don't have yet, and keeps us present in this moment. Not only that, but it cultivates this life where it crowds out the weeds of entitlement. Giving thanks undoes our entitlement. This idea that a certain way of life is owed to us that we deserve it. It happens a lot in our culture right now. It makes us appreciate. When we practice gratitude, we stop thinking that things are owed to us and we start giving thanks. And I think as too, I have this hunch that as we give thanks, we start giving things away as well. Practicing thanks, giving thanks makes us appreciate and it makes us generous. Thinking about it, that it's impossible for us to appreciate something and at the same time take it for granted. Think about how easy it is for us to take our spouse for granted. And yet it's impossible if we are giving thanks for them. Acknowledging, like Tracy has to do all the time, acknowledging the places where I blow it. Like how many times do my dishes almost make it to the dishwasher, but not quite. And yet still give thanks. This is an interesting thing too that Anne in her book, A Thousand Gifts, talks about how giving thanks roots out the resentment in our lives. How gratitude can undo resentment for things that didn't work out. The pains that we've had. The losses. The betrayals. The things that have broken our hearts. Without gratitude, it's, it's easy to, or it's tempting to look at life 
um, to view our life that when we are not quite happy as we think we're supposed to be or as much as our culture tells us we deserve to be, that we can begin to look at this as a betrayal of God. That God, you are all powerful and good. Why is my life still not quite fulfilled? At best, at worst, why is my life so difficult? God, I am struggling. Where are you in this? Without gratitude, if we begin to look at this as though God is letting us down, that God should be fixing things for us and he's not. When we aren't grateful, it is easier to take God for granted. We live in a culture that's consumed with this idea of happiness, that we all deserve to be happy and if we'll just buy the right products or go to the right places, then we'll be happy. And so we do, we try, we buy all the stuff, we go to the places, the you know, top 10 places you gotta see before you die, we go to those places and we come back and they're like, you know, that was nice, but it still didn't fill the hole. When happiness is thin on the ground, resentment becomes a powerful temptation. We are tempted to resent God. We are tempted to resent life. I could resent Tracy's cancer the things that we lost through that time. Just, <laughs> just this last week, talking with a few different people about adoption and how we were actually matched with a child. Emmett was the name we'd given him. And through Tracy's, uh, when Tracy was diagnosed, the agency we were working with said it'd be better if he was, went to a different home and we waited. So every Christmas, we put up an, an, uh, an ornament that we had that year for Emmett. It'd be really easy to resent the hard things in life, to focus on that rather than give thanks. I've been thinking something about it this week. It's true that God wants us to be happy, but more than that, he wants us to be holy. In my experience, some of our best growth towards holiness comes from pain and loss or through it. Not that we can't learn when things are going well. I just find that most of us don't learn as well. When things are going well, when things are easy, it's easier for us to take it for granted, to not be grateful. When we give thanks, even loss, even hard things become rich soil for us to grow. I know it sounds weird, but giving thanks in the middle of a struggle not for the pain of it, not for the actual struggle itself, but for the good things that happen even in the middle of pain. When you're at a table at your last meal, knowing you're about to suffer, and somebody who's, who you love who's sitting there is going to betray you, even sitting in a moment like that, we can give thanks. And it grows us. Some of you might be thinking, okay, Jason, I kind of, I'm getting this, I'm, I'm interested to try it, this grateful way, how do we do it? Like, what does it look like? How is it different than what I'm doing now? The first thing we do is we follow Jesus. And I know most of you here are already doing that. But maybe some of you are here this morning and you're like, you know, I'm still not sure about Jesus and about following him and about life following him. That's what separates this teaching from scripture about giving thanks that also separates this from just merely self-help advice. 
I've been thinking about it, I've been plagued by that as I've been preparing uh, this sermon the last few weeks. You know, what makes this different than just, you know, any person, whether they're followers of Jesus or not, what makes just the idea of giving thanks more than just self-help? It's Jesus. Because our gratefulness, our gratitude toward him has meaning, has reality. It's not just, we're not just deluding ourselves, saying thanks for crappy things in our lives, trying to delude ourselves that it's still working. But it's actually truth that Jesus is redeeming the hardest things of our lives. Taking those moments that we thought, God, I hate this and I don't see any redemptive value coming out of this, and him taking time, working us through it, and showing us, and I can look back now, even the hardest things, even the things that I think, man, that was miserable, seeing God, how he redeemed it. That's through Jesus, not just giving thanks. I wanna make that point. Giving thanks is helpful, but following Jesus makes it real, not just delusion. The next thing is this, is, and this is maybe a little bit on the practical side for those of you who are like, okay, I get what you're saying theologically, Jason, but how do I do this tomorrow? How do I take this up? The first thing is, is praying. I know you're like, oh geez, here we go, cliche, right? Pray more and read our Bibles more. <laughs> Resist that temptation. <laughs> but it really is prayer. Of giving God thanks when we feel grateful, which most of us do already. Wow, wow, what a beautiful sunset. Thank you, God, okay? Keep doing that. That's fine. But I'm also talking about the practice of giving thanks about the diligence, the discipline of it, to give God thanks maybe the first thing in the morning when you wake up and you're praying, or to make that a habit to pray when you wake up and give God thanks. So often we come to God when it's time to prayer, we set our prayer times, we come with our laundry list or our, our shopping list. God, here's all the stuff I want you to help me with. Rather than starting with God, here's all the things I'm grateful for. To practice gratitude daily and not just like God I'm grateful for everything you've given me but also God I'm grateful for these beautiful things that I would otherwise take for granted that we practice gratitude so the first one is praying another one uh, which has been helpful for me is is journaling it writing it down somewhere whether that's in a book or someplace where you keep it that you're saying, God, thank you, and you're just writing it as a practice. This morning, I am calling us to the thankful way, to give God thanks. Sure, when we feel like it, when we feel grateful, absolutely, but more than that, to practice it, to practice gratitude, to practice Eucharisto, this idea of giving thanks. And kept calling it the Holy Grail, this secret to life more full. And I, I think she might be onto something. This gratitude might be the way that we renew our relationship with God, that we realize in deeper ways who He is and how deeply He cares for us. Might even begin changing the relationship with people around us. I know it has for me. My relationship with Tracy and my sons. As much as I 
hated her having cancer. It has changed my relationship with Tracy. It has changed my relationship with my sons and how much more grateful I am for them. It was easy for me to take the moments that we have together now for granted. It might even change our connection with the church, giving thanks on Sunday morning. Even though that maybe the music's not our style or the pastor keeps preaching about things that we don't really care about, (laughs) that we keep giving thanks, giving thanks for this group of believers. It is so easy to take each other for granted. And yet look around this room, brothers and sisters who are here with you, that we keep giving thanks for each other. It shapes the way we think about our church and it shapes shapes our connection with the place we live. Maybe some of you are here and you love this place and you're constantly giving God thanks. Maybe some of you are here and you hate this place. I encourage both of you, whatever situation, either one, to give God thanks. To give God thanks for this place. This place where he's put us to live and to minister, to encourage others in faith in the community around us. This morning, I hear God calling us to the faithful way, to cultivate gratitude in our lives, beyond giving thanks when we feel like it, giving thanks all the time, so that it roots out resentment, it roots out our shallowness, and draws us into life more full. Amen.